So Money Episode 103, Kathleen King. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Good day to all of you. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. So my question to you is, is there anything better than home-baked cookies, chocolate chip cookies? If you've got a sweet tooth like I do, you will appreciate the awesome deliciousness that comes from the award-winning Tate's Bake Shop based in Southampton, New York. It's a household name in our house. And Tate's Bake Shop was actually voted the best bakery in the Hamptons for years. And it's become a destination for locals and tourists alike. Today's guest is the founder of that bake shop, owner of the legendary Tate's Bake Shop, Kathleen King. Kathleen started making simple all-American desserts over three decades ago when she was just 11. She then went on to open her first bake shop at the age of 21. Kathleen started making simple all-American desserts over three decades ago when she was just 11 years old growing up on a farm. She opened her first bake shop at the age of 21, and as the demand for her cookies just kept on growing, she launched a whole business selling them to specialty and gourmet shops in Manhattan and at over 5,000 retailers throughout the United States and online. Her shop is online at tastebakeshop.com. From our time with Kathleen, we learn how she lost everything at one point in the middle of her business journey. She was left with no money to her name, $200,000 in debt. How did she triumph? How did she come back and actually come back bigger and better? Her top money habit that helps her avoid, as she says, wastefulness, and the great lessons about making money from a very young age on her farm growing up. Here is the wonderful Kathleen King. Kathleen King, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's a pleasure to be here. I nearly jumped out of my chair when my friend mentioned that she was uh, connected to you, wanted to introduce me to you, to have you on the podcast. I am a big fan of your cookies, Tate's Cookies, uh, Tate's Bake Shop. We actually have the uh, the privilege of the of Brooklyn Fair across the street selling them, and my husband and I are huge fans, and he is um, so excited to hear this interview. And, and sort of, <laughs> we feel like we, we have a little, you know, you are a household name in our oh, household. Thank you. So uh, thank you. for that and many more reasons, I'm excited to have you on the show. Your business, it, you know, talk about breaking ground and, and having a breakthrough in a business that is pretty, pretty saturated. I mean, there are a lot of cookie companies out there and they've been around for a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious to learn about your journey, how you how you started the business and maybe start with a question about your childhood. This was something that you encountered as a young girl growing up on a farm. Did you ever think that you would take what was initially kind of a side job, a side business, an early introduction to baking would turn into the empire that it is today? Uh, Well, not, not originally, of course, you know, I grew up on a farm out here in Southampton, and when I was 11, my dad told me that it was I had to bake cookies to, to sell at his farm stand so that I could buy my own clothes for school, uh, which I did. And 
by the time I got into high school, I was baking in the summertime seven days a week, about 10 hours a day. And I originally wanted to be a veterinarian, but I wasn't smart enough. I knew that. So I said to myself, well, I have something with these cookies. And uh, maybe I'll, uh, so I went to two years of school for uh, restaurant management. And when I graduated college, there was a fully equipped bakery for rent when I was 20 years old in uh, Southampton. So I needed a job and I was doing those cookies all along and I knew that I could make a living on them. I, I at least I hoped I could. I knew at least when I was living at home, I could. <laughs> so I went into um, business and opened my first company, Kathleen's Bake Shop, uh, when I was 21. Well, um, I'm sure you had some nice clothes. The, the cookies did very well. In fact, exceeded your father's, uh, some of your father's business. Oh, well, well, yes. In the beginning, he said he would buy all the ingredients for me and I would make the cookies and I would get all the money. So that was a win-win. I mean, it was 100% profit. <laughs> but uh, I started baking and selling so many cookies. He told me we have to reevaluate this disagreement. <laughs> this <laughs> I'll say the cookies are, what I love about them is that they're, they're thin, they're yes. crispy, and they come out of the package tasting so fresh. Like, yes. uh, has the recipe always been this recipe or has it evolved over the years? Uh, basically, it has always been. I mean, when I was ma making the cookies at the farm, they were different. They were about five or six inches across because back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, supersizing was not um, a common thing. So I just thought to be different. I said, we'll make the, these cookies, these big cookies, and people might want to try them. Um, but by the time I opened the bake shop in Southampton, um, I felt that the smaller cookies would be better. And then I just moved it to uh, the smaller cookie and it evolved into the thinner, crisper cookie. I, I can't say that I sat down and said, this is going to be the new biggest thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just baked to the way I like to eat. What was your big break? Uh, what was, I guess, the tipping point? Oh, I had so many. Um, I mean, when I, when I, first of all, when I graduated, uh, college, there was a fully equipped bakery for rent, number one. Um, then when I was 23, I purchased the building, which we're still in today, uh, just up the road in Southampton. And that break there was, uh, the gentleman that was selling the business held the mortgage for me because mm -hmm. uh, I would not have been able to get a, a bank loan. Uh, so he held the mortgage for me and I was $10,000 short on my down payment and a wealthy woman in town that my father used to help, uh, died and left him $10,000. Huh, wow. Yeah. So, um, those were some breaks right along the way. The cookies, you know, always were successful from the day I opened the store. Uh, so that, you know, they kind of, uh, you know, sold themselves within a reason, uh, as I tried to wholesale them, uh, on a smaller market and the farm stands. And then I eventually went into New York city because I wanted a year round business being the Southampton seasonal area. And, uh, back then it was, uh, the early eighties. So there wasn't a lot of competition back then. Right. And, uh, people were dying for something like that, that was just tasted homemade and looked homemade and yeah, and if I, you know, had the experience and the smarts that I had now, then, you know, I, it would have been a faster journey up. 
<laughs> but, you know, every journey, you know, it's sort of meant to be. And I'd like to get into that journey even further. Let's start, though, with I'd love to hear, given that you have you know decades of experience running your own business uh, as a woman, too, in, in an industry that is often dominated by men, what would you say is your number one financial philosophy that guides your personal financial decision making, but also perhaps how you run your business? Well, for me, you know, I was never, I mean, of course I I had to watch the bottom line, but all my decisions were not about the bottom line. All my decisions were about doing what was right and, um, what was, what was good for the, for the company and, and the product. I never really focused on the money truthfully. I mean, when I first went into business, I was 21. All I wanted was a car and an apartment, you know? And, and then after that, um, you know, then you wanted a house, you know, and I wanted like a a little house. Um, you know, for me, the the definition of success is, is really waking up happy every day and being able, you know, to cover your life, to cover your, uh, expenses, the necessities. And, you know, that's, you're already 90% there. I mean, anything beyond that is just really gravy. And I always focus on that because, you know, I grew up in a, in a relatively poor family and it was never, nothing was ever about the money. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you know that, you know, money, money can't buy you, you know, all the things that you really appreciate. And then when you do get some money and you do buy some fancy things, you realize how dull it is. It's really not very exciting, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Take us down memory lane a little bit, Kathleen. You know, growing up on the farm, you said you weren't raised. Uh, you, were, you know, family was relatively, um, I guess, poor. You would characterize it as uh, somewhat poor. How would you say you were uh, influenced financially growing up? What was your biggest money memory? Well, my father uh, and mother... Uh, always taught us from a very early age to, to, uh, how to, how to make money and save money and pay for our own things. I mean, you know, in the beginning, my father, when I was even younger than 11, he would give me a a calf and I'd have to raise the calf and then he would buy the calf back. And, um, that seemed to work out okay, but when I realized the calf was was going to slaughter, that that only worked out once. Oh um, no! So then, so then um, after that, then I had to rake leaves in the neighborhood. You know, people would go to my dad asking for odd jobs, so he would put the kids on it, and then we would go and have to do it and get paid. And we always had to to really manage our money and 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 make money from a very very early age. And I think, you know, that just set the precedence because, you know, I never felt, I mean, I had a fantastic family and a a very stable upbringing um, and a very independent mother, but there was never any, you never knew, like I had a fallback zone financially. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never any of that. So were you conditioned to really assume that as an adult, you would have to be responsible for your own income and perhaps be entrepreneurial as a result, that no one was going to guarantee you a paycheck? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you know, I knew I could also get a job, but that wasn't really in my my nature. 
um, you know, going out and, and getting a job. I mean, I, I could have gotten a job, you know, my, my other brothers and sisters, some of them did, some of them do other things. Um, but I definitely knew for sure that I was responsible for myself and whatever my adult world was going to be like was going to come from me. Now, as you are growing your business, as I said, you've been at this for four decades. Uh, you, it was not a straight shoot to the top. You had some zigzags along the way. I'd love yeah. if you would share, and I maybe that's putting it lightly because I, I, I have an inkling of, of what you might be saying to this question. So my question is, what was your biggest financial failure? I understand you had some tough uh, lessons learned from um, different partners that you had as you were growing your business. Can you take mm-hmm. us to some of those experiences? What happened? Sure. What, what were the lessons learned? Yeah, sure. Uh, so when I was around 40, I was then in Kathleen's Bake Shop for you know almost 20 years. And I worked a lot and I just kind of wanted uh, less stress and to kind of enjoy life a little bit more. And unfortunately, I took on, I had no partners then, and I took on partners. And I did it in an incredibly naive, you know, foolish way. Uh, One of them used to be like a bookkeeper for me. So, and he built trust with me over the few years that we had worked together. And basically, I gave my whole business away. uh, And I didn't get any money for it. Um, They were going to pay me, you know as the business grew and, and over time, and there was two of them and one of me, and there was, each of us had one third. So obviously two of them together is two thirds and I'm one third. And ultimately they, they fired me and, um, uh, I ended up, you know, then I had to lawsuit. So in, in the 2000, I had lost everything, everything. I had no money left to my name. I was almost bankrupt. I was, $200,000 $200,000 in debt from what they, they had driven Kathleen's Bake Shop, $600,000 into debt. So with the lawsuit, I was able to get 200000 of their debt. Um, so I started Tate's Bake Shop, $200,000 in debt, not a penny in my bank account. Uh, my house was up for sale and uh, started Tate's Bake Shop with a mission to grow it and sell it. Hmm. So, okay, let's just go back for one second, because that's a huge bomb that you just dropped. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have so many questions. But first is, you uh, they took, they literally, these partners, they not only fired you, but they basically retained the rights to the business and the name of the business. I mean, you not only started from a financial ground zero, but from like an everything ground zero. You had to really re reinvent this business. I mean, did they also take away your the rights to the recipe? Well, they, they, they got the name, um, they had the recipes, but they never could bake them correctly anyway. And the thing with recipes is, you know, you change them a little bit and they can become yours, you know, so I opened Tate's Bake Shop, you know, a lot of the things I did use the same, the cookies, you know, with Kathleen's Bake Shop, we used to do the cookies, half margarine, half butter. And then when I opened Tate's, I did the cookies with all butter because I had to compete now against my old self. So I had to make them one bit better than that they, than they were. And how did you do that? I just used all butter instead of, uh, half margarine and half butter. 
Butter makes makes the world go round. It does. It does. So I had to start, you know, a whole new name. I had to, when I, when I had to make orders, I had to fill out all new credit apps and, and some people were amazingly wonderful. Some of my vendors and gave me credit and, um, gave me time to pay some of the debt that my partners had driven up and others, you know, were not very forgiving. So, you know, it's life. That's the way it goes. Now, I can only imagine while this is happening to you, Kathleen, you know, you're literally getting your business taken from underneath you. Uh, you know, you say that you had this determination to rebuild it, but there must have been some in, in the interim, you were having probably some self-doubt or like what was the emotional range that you were going through and what ultimately psychologically, emotionally helped you kind of get over that hump? Wow. Well, there were so many, there were so many, I mean, you know, from the beginning, I mean, I was like a doe in headlights when it first happened and got fired. You know, I just didn't even really kind of, it was just so bizarre. Um, and then there was the lawsuit that went on for like six months and I didn't know what was going to happen. And during that time, you know, I just would kind of think, well, maybe I'll move, you know, and completely start over somewhere, not necessarily in the bakery business, but just to just start all over and do whatever I didn't have, um, a lot of skill. I mean, I have a lot of skills and I don't have a lot of skills, if you know what I mean, you know, for, you know, I was an entrepreneur. I, you know, I baked and I made things happen and this and that, and what I needed, I could hire, but, um, you know, I was concerned about my, uh, abilities with the computer and (laughs) all of that. Right. I, if someone wanted to hire me to be their manager or something, I could do that. But, you know, I wasn't as technical, uh, advanced as that what they are looking for today. So that made me concerned, but I figured, you know, I'll figure it out. Um, my biggest concern was the money was that I didn't have any money. And as I told you, there's no, there's no fallback plan in our family. And, you know, my, that was my biggest concern because I was always able to be very independent and take care of myself my whole life, even as a kid. Uh, so that was the thing that lingered the most for me. But I kind of just stayed in the moment, which was which was really crucial for me. Um, you know, you hear that line, stay in the moment, la, la, la. But I during that time, I would say I was staying in the minute mm. because if I went past the minute, it was all too frightening. And I would just stay in the minute and <laughs> take, you know, one step at a time. And then the lawsuit settled and I got my building back because I had bought that when I was so young. It was paid for. And that was my big break there too. I remortgaged the building to get money to start Tate's Bake Shop. And then I had the building. So fortunately, my ex-partners, they left the building. They took the business to Virginia. Two years later, it was completely gone and destroyed. Nice. Yeah. I let, they just Redemption. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, proceeded to, with Tate's and, and the wholesale business and building that up again. I was going to ask what happened to those partners? Are they still around? And what do they think now of your success? Have you connected with any of them since all of this went down? No, you know, I never, um, I have no clue, honestly. I know that the business doesn't exist. It was gone soon after. Um, I've never seen or heard. 
from them and don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care either. <laughs> well, let's, uh, thank you for sharing that. I know that was a tough time in your business and it must've been quite the, the emotional, uh, roller coaster. Uh, but I think it sounds, I mean, obviously now clearly it, you're, you're showing you're, you're better than ever. You're back and better than ever. Well, um, you know, it's an experience, um, that was life altering, and in a positive way, you know, once you can get to the other side of it, you know, sometimes I, you know, talk to people, you know, uh, like a lecture or something. And I just always say, you know, don't fear these really challenging times because, you know, what have we really learned and changed from happy? Right. Yeah. Fear. Uh, you got to dance with the fear, as Tony Robbins says, Um because that is, I guess, every the human common denominator, right? Everybody experiences fear, and those who are able to um, face it and uh, kind of go ahead, go forward, and use it as fuel, really, to to move from uh, right. And you know, and for me too, I I did truthfully, I didn't have a lot of choices. You know, I didn't have a husband. I you know didn't have a family that had money that they could, you know, help me, you know, you, when you're really, um, I mean, I don't, don't mean to say on my own, I was on my own financially. I mean, I, I have a great family. I wasn't going to be homeless ever, but, um, you know, it gives you a different sense of power because I couldn't fall apart. I couldn't say I can't do this. Because then who was? Right. It was born out of necessity. Yes. yes. Some of the best entrepreneurship is built out of necessity. And it sounds like that was a, nece- a necessary time for you to get to your, uh, your business back. Yes. And as far as starting Tate's, I mean, that's the way I knew how to make money. That's the, the fastest way I knew how to make money to, to fix my debts and everything. So I just, you know, just went back and did it again. Let's shift now to success. You've had so much success. And I would say even out of that failure grew the, the best success. Um, what would you say is your so money moment, a time in your perhaps personal even life where you achieved such financial greatness that, you know, you really pat yourself on the back. What happened? What did you learn? Well, I, I guess that's recently back in uh, August, 2014, when I actually sold Tate's Bake Shop. You reached your goal. That's amazing. I reached the goal. I set the goal. Um, you know, and I had said when I was 55, I would retire. And I turned 55 in <clears throat> December. And in January, I put it on the table to sell. And in August of 2014, I sold it. Was it that easy? Well, I had... Uh, contacted TM Capital in New York City. Uh, they sell businesses. That's what they do. The bankers, that, and they, they contact people all over the world to get interested in your company. And, uh, and they had said when I hired them that it takes, you know, six to nine months to sell a business. And uh, the end of August, I was, it was done. And so what's, what's on your plate now? Well, I, I still own part of Tate's Bake Shop I'm, and I'm on the board of directors, but, you know, I do recipe development and some quality control, but I'm not a day-to-day person at all. Mm-hmm. And so now I just, um, I mean, you know, enjoying uh, having my own time 
and less stress and just enjoying life itself. I'm not making any plans the first year because it's such a big transitional year. I wanted uh, it to just kind of, uh, you know, unravel a little bit and find my place before I started uh, doing anything bigger. And I, I, and I don't mean that by going into business again. I don't think that that's is what I would do. Um, but just different things like maybe doing a language immersion class for, you know, one or two months in another country or things, things like that. Some, you know, fun things that you always dream about and wish you do, but you don't do. Yeah. I mean, you've been working since you were 11 and in this same industry, basically baking, um, I can only imagine there's a list of things that you want to accomplish that you just haven't had time to, to reach. Yes. Yes, that is, that is true. And, um, so I'm just kind of, uh, enjoying doing that. And like, you know, when people say, you know, oh, you're going to be in the city, stay overnight. I'm like, okay. You know, (laughs) you know, nice. You have flexibility. That's priceless. You know, there's, there's no price for freedom. That's for sure. What is your number one financial habit, Kathleen? Hmm. My number one financial habit. Um, you know, I'm not wasteful at all. Uh, I am not uh, an impulse uh, buyer or shopper. You know, even even now, you know, like I, you know, to be honest, I, you know, I we could go into a shop and I. In my head, I could say, oh, my gosh, you know, I could buy whatever I wanted in here, but but I don't want it. And if I see something I like, if I leave the store and if I think about it, I go back and get it. If I don't think about it, it means I forgot it. I didn't really want it. Uh, so yeah. I don't really, you know, my I have a lot of great money habits that make a sum of a whole, but I, I don't have any really, um, one very specific that is life changing. (laughs) No. Yeah. But it helps you avoid wastefulness. And I totally agree. What you're doing is really psychological. It, it, as humans, you know, we tend to be impulsive and we think very much in the, in the now, as opposed to, do I really want this 10 days from now? And so having building in just even a 30 minute break, from whatever it is that you're considering can sometimes make the difference and can really have you see the, the truth behind what you're buying. Right. And I also find, you know, stuff, you know, causes stress. And as I said before, there's no price on freedom. And the more stuff you have, the less freedom you have. Right. And, you know, and of course I'm talking about having the luxury of having, you know, a roof over your head and food and all the basics, of course. Um, so after that, you know, it just kind of is, um, you know, it just weighs you down and it takes away your freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Kathleen, it's been such a joy speaking with you. I'd love to wrap things up now with my so many fill in the blanks. This is the just kick back, listen to the, the sentences, finish them as you would just kind of off the top of your head. Don't overthink it. So I will start with this. It's my favorite one of all. If you won the lottery tomorrow, let's just put a number on it at a hundred million, like just immeasurable (laughs) amounts of money. The first thing you would do is. Donate. 
Where would you donate? I would donate to the Peconic Land Trust, which is an organization out here that preserves farmland. And then I would donate to uh, some of my other local organizations out here that help young women and empower young women because I'm a big believer in uh, helping in the area in which you live and grow. Is your family's uh, farm still around and thriving? It is. My brother runs the farm now, and it's about two miles from my home. And when I grew up, it was a dairy and poultry farm, and now it's a farm stand where they raise vegetables, and they still have the fresh eggs. Oh, that's nice to hear. It's yeah. always good to hear. Moving on, the one thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Mm. Well, I have a personal trainer, which in, in the big picture then make, does make my life easier because I stay healthy and strong. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, when I go into New York City, I hire a driver, which to me is the ultimate of oh, everything because I hate, luxury. I hate to drive and I can't find my way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I have someone drive me into the city and pick me up, to me, there's nothing better. <laughs> yeah, hailing a cab in the rain is no fun. Right. So I love that. And uh, that's probably one of my only big luxuries. And then, of course, travel. Of course. You know, is, is wonderful. But you know what? To be able to sit down and pay your bills, I mean, that's beautiful luxury. Yeah, to know that there's money, there's more where that came from. Yeah. My biggest guilty pleasure. Now, you meant, you mentioned trainer and drivers and travel, and that's all making your life easier and better. What about like a small guilty pleasure that you have that not many people know about, but it's, it's, it is who you are. It's part of who you are. Well, I would say, you know, food, but people know about that. I, I will spend money on food. Um, you know, good quality food, mm-hmm. like of everything. I just am very particular, you know, on, yeah. on what I Well, eat. you would be, you would be. So, um, you know, even organic grass fed beef, I order it online and get it to the house and things, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say what I spend my money most on is, is travel and, and food. <laughs> Where are you headed to next? I'm curious what's on your travel agenda. I'm going cycling in Costa Brava, Spain. Nice. Yeah, Are you a like, cyclist? Yes, I am. And uh, I, that, that's an, a nice trip. And then I was thinking of going and doing a bike across New York trip, which is it's for, it's just for a week and it's $300 and you go camping along the way and it's quite a challenging trip. So I thought that in the summer might be fun. Yeah, we have the bike, I guess it's a bike marathon uh, here in New York every May. Um, And it's it's just for the day. It's nothing like you're doing, Uh but um, could be fun if you want to experience the city. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? How evil it makes other people sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, you know about that. Well, you know what? They get theirs one day too. You know, it's astounding to me how some people actually, when they have money, they actually think they're better than somebody else. That, that's a shocking realization that I've been able to, unfortunately, witness, especially growing up, uh, growing up and then working in a uh, wealthy community. 
Yeah. Especially on the Hamptons, there's a lot of various wealthy people on the Hamptons. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Um, I mean, and it's a, a f- wonderful, wonderful area that's been so supportive of me and they donate to so many of our local things, but it's just in general, when you go, when people actually think their job or their money makes them a better human being. Right. Well, we're, we associate money with power. It's just, it's the way things have been running for centuries. Yeah. And, but the mistake is thinking money equals power in your relationships and your community. And like when it matters, you know, I mean, yeah. so yeah, when you have more money, you can do more things and, you know, the richer well, yeah. countries ultimately, you know, succeed faster, but that's for, at a micro level. If you think like that, you're in for some disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the part that makes me probably the saddest and the most surprising when I got out into the world. <laughs> yeah. uh, last but not least, Kathleen, I'm Kathleen King and I'm so money because. Uh, I'm so money because my career and my creations make people happy. They do. It's that butter. Yeah. It's that butter instead of half and half. I love it. Uh, Thank you so much, Kathleen King. I am so honored to have you on the show. Good luck with your travels. Good luck with your early retirement. You deserve it. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you taking the time and having me on your show. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Kathleen, please check out her website, tatesbakeshop.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Tate's Bake Shop. Also, two amazing books written by Kathleen. One is called Baking for Friends, and the other is the Tate's Bake Shop Cookbook. We have all this information and links at somoneypodcast.com. There are, of course, also the transcript and comments from this episode and all episodes. And I want to keep hearing from you. Please submit your question to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. Whether you got a question about money, saving, making money, uh, careers, family, work-life balance, I get it all and I try to answer it all every weekend on the Ask Farnoosh editions of So Money. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, just hop on over to iTunes and leave a review there. Each Saturday at the top of the show, I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money blitz with me. And so if this is interesting to you and you'd like to connect, please leave a review on iTunes and hopefully we will have our one-on-one soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks to my lovely guest, Kathleen King of Tate's Big Shop. Hope your day is so money. 